Hello and welcome to Conversations with Mother Earth, brought to you by Grounded Press. My name is Dana Petrovic, and each week my guests and I explore one aspect of Mother Earth and the gifts that she gives us. We also discuss why these gifts are so precious and why we should value them. Got you curious? Good. We love curiosity. Let's begin. Today, I am taking you to the cradle of humankind, to Africa. We will be visiting Nigeria, at least virtually, a country in West Africa known for its oil reserves. And of course, being the largest country on the continent. Nigeria is also one of the world's most multicultural and ethnically diverse nations with more than 250 ethnic groups. However, Nigeria is even richer with another resource. Which could that be? Stories. Nigeria is a country rich in storytelling. Electricity might be a recent phenomenon that brought Nigeria and the world not only light, but also soon thereafter radio, TV, and internet. However, storytelling is as old as humanity. And Nigeria, one of the, as one would expect with its cultural richness and diversity, is blessed with a legacy of storytelling. My guest today is the best-selling author Yajida Kilanko, born and raised in Nigeria, but now living in Ontario, Canada. Yajida's first novel, that was published in 2012, Daughters Who Walk This Path, transports readers to her native Nigeria, telling a story of a spirited and very intelligent young girl, Morayo, that brings attention to the kind of violence many women suffer in silence. After reading this extraordinary novel, I became a big fan of Yajida's Kilanko work. Hence, it's no surprise. It is an incredible honor for me to welcome one of my favorite authors as my guest today. Yajida, welcome to Conversations with Mother Earth. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. And thank you for the support all over these years. It has been, thank you. I value that. Thank you. It's my pleasure because I really love your work. So I'm very pleased to talk to you about the topic that is very dear to my heart uh, today, and I think you are the perfect partner for uh, for this. So, our readers, our listeners might not know much about, uh, some of them might not know about your work. So tell us a little bit about your background and more okay. about Nigeria's cultural diversity. And of course, the importance of the topic of the storytelling. Okay, so I was born in Ipadon, uh, Nigeria, which is uh, in southwest Nigeria. Uh, at one time, it was the biggest city in Africa. 
And um, I was born to a university professor uh, who was a vet doctor. And so it was a vet doctor and also taught at the University of Baden. So I grew up within the back home, um, professors live on campus, right? So you grew up within um, the, you know, the university campus. And I was the first of five children. And um, yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was a fun childhood. It really was. Um, I had parents who were, who were very hardworking and um, they valued education. They valued the importance of, of, of reading, of uh, the first books that I read were bought by my parents. And um, they always encouraged me to read. My dad had a, a stellar library. And um, so growing up in that house, you couldn't help being a critical thinker. Because uh, I, I remember when uh, I was, I, can't I, was, I was less than 10 when I read Roots uh, by Alex Haley. And my dad was like, are you sure you really understood what you read? And then he actually got the miniseries. I remember watching the miniseries wow. and understanding how, um, and I think that was my first exposure to comparing a book to, to the movie. To the movie, yes. And like, was you know, it a positive how, one? <laughs> it was, because I think it, it just shows you different ways of, of, of telling a story. Because that's what, it, like different mediums, right? That a, a one story can be told in different ways. And so that was my, my exposure to that. And um, as you mentioned, Nigeria is, I think, we're the most populous Black country in the world. We've got a yes. lot of us, uh, lots and lots of us. We're vibrant people. Um, we have many, many, many ethnicities in terms of, um, and so I think even in terms of language, we have um, over like 250 different dialects. Um, so I'm a Yoruba woman and uh, we have three major tribes. Uh, so the Yoruba, Igbo and Hausa. So I'm a Yoruba woman. And um, across all our different um, tribes and uh, oral tradition is very strong. Like yes. in terms of how we pass on knowledge and proverbs. And for those who've read Daughters Who Walk This Path, every chapter in the book has a proverb as its heading. And that heading, that proverb kind of informs how kind of, you know, gives you an idea of what's come, right? And um, today I was actually having a conversation with my daughter about writing and, and, um, and it, so it, it, one, one proverb came to my head, a Yoruba proverb that says, which means uh, if you give it a literal translation says you, you only speak in partial words to somebody of honor, somebody who has knowledge. Um, so when, it get, when they kind of dwell on it, then it becomes a full sentence, like in terms of how we pass on information. So you know, it, was, it was a very fun, it was a fun conversation with my daughter who was born in North America. So uh, even though she's born to African Nigerian parents, um, she can, you know, she's also raised here. So her way of seeing the world is different. Uh, so you know, we talked about the difference of how perhaps a story um, told through a Western lens might say, or even not, perhaps not even a conversation, let's say in a conversation, I said, oh, um, I really wouldn't do that if I were you. Or have you thought about maybe doing that differently? What that person is telling you is like, I really don't think you should do that. But in, in Nigeria, we say, don't do that. Are you not thinking? <laughs> Like, we're very direct, <laughs> right? Like, very direct in terms of 
how we pass on, you know, things we say. So, it, you know, it's, so it's, it's, so our stories in a way, and, and, and so I think our stories in a way may not, they, they don't, they, they kind of offer you this kernel of wisdom. Yeah. And then you're meant to take it and then you're meant to sit with it. And then you're meant to think, okay, how does this inform my life or what do I want to do with this knowledge that's been passed on to me? Exactly. exactly. So, yeah. So, yeah. So we definitely have a very rich uh, Nigerian writers award known for, um, you know, for wonderful, um, you know, writing, whatever genre, like, you know, literary, commercial, science fiction, uh, drama, poetry, children's fiction, like, which is, it's just as, you know, very, very multifaceted. Like, so it's, so it's a privilege to be part of that, to, to, to come from such richness. Yeah, such a rich heritage, rich roots. Yeah, yeah that's definitely. How many are, languages are actually official languages in Nigeria? Well, English. English. <laughs> the only official language. Uh, and that is, of course, um, as a result of colonialism, right? Because we yeah. used to be a British colony. Yeah. And uh, so that English is our official language. Um, when I was in school, I went, my the boarding school that I went to uh, for secondary school, um, we were allowed, we, we had to do, a, take a different language from ours. Um, so like I mentioned earlier, there are three major tribes. So the Yoruba, Igbo, and Hausa. So if you're a Yoruba person, child, student, you, you have to take a different, you know, language. Uh, but in terms of, and, and that's one of the things that's kind of sad, because in some ways, our languages are kind of dying, let's say dying out to an extent, uh, because the younger generation, a lot of the children don't speak or can't even read. Yeah. Can't that's read it. the language. Uh, is, I kind yeah. of taught myself how to read Yoruba uh, oh, really? because I wasn't taught in school. So I was, I'm not, and I'm not even that, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm a learner. Yeah. <laughs> and so that is kind of sad. Um, and it's a very, it's a tonal language. So you have to learn how to put the tones. And um, so that's one thing that I, you know, I'm, I wish we, we focus more on teaching our indigenous languages yeah. um, to the younger people, because if not, I, I wonder what would happen in 50 years. Exactly. In terms, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that, you know, more people realize the importance of learning your language because it really it grounds you. Yes. The language is, is not just the in terms of, of diction, in terms of the stories, in terms of the worldview, in terms of the values, there's so much attached um, to language. Yes, it strengthens your roots. We have to strengthen yeah. our roots first and foremost. Yeah. This is our identity, it's who we are. I, yes. I, I agree. And it's this uh, unfortunate phenomenon around the world that cultural heritage and languages are getting more and more lost and with that all the all the richness that goes with it yes um but Yajida, uh, you lived in a in a cap uh, in ibadan uh, which yes. is not the capital sorry uh ibadan but it's it's still a, a huge city it's over six yes. million people correct me if i'm wrong so how how was it for you uh, to live in a in such a big city with all the tribes mixed, how did that influence your um, I, I, storytelling? It, um, I think perhaps not my storytelling, but perhaps my worldview. Um, because growing up with, in, in the midst of, of, because of, of, everybody came to teach, right? So we have people from different tribes who are also professors, lecturers in different. And so I was exposed to 
you know, their families, their children, their food, their ways of doing things. So it made me definitely more open-minded. Mm-hmm. Like, it, like it wasn't just like, okay, I got to learn about different, different cultures. And even when I went away to boarding school, um, because the part where my school was, it was, it was, a, that was set in, a, in the um, a state where it was an equal people where the predominant tribe there. So it's an entirely different language, entirely different way of doing things. So I, I think living within the university, um, having access to books, having access to even going to watch a, uh, to, to uh, watch plays, the theater, like different things, like it, it engages your mind as a child. Yes. Like in terms of, okay, this is, yeah, you might be, you live here in Ibadan, in Nigeria, but the world is way bigger than this. And that interconnectedness of like, okay, you can find your place in like somebody else is living in, in London and you can have the same experiences. I have a friend, um, we always talk about how interesting she grew up here um, in, in, in Canada, in Ontario, in a smaller town. And we would like, oh my God, I know that song. And we always think like, and where she was born a year after me, that we're living on two different continents and we're having the same experiences. Yes. Like, and, and, and I, so, so I think growing up, um, I was able to realize that it was like, even when I'll read a book um, that, you know, like was said in, I don't know, England somewhere that I had never been, but I could see myself in it, that I could understand that there were human beings like me with fears like me, with feelings like me. Um, and, and so I think growing up in, you know, like, and then I was also experiencing that in real life, be living with different, you know, not just in terms of even ethnicity, different religions, mm-hmm. right? Different ways of seeing life. So I think I, I, I truly am so grateful for that experience yeah. um, because it has served me well mm-hmm. um, that wherever I go, I'm able to, um, I'm a bridge builder in that sense, yes. that I'm able to understand other people's way of seeing things, yes. um, that I'm able to reach out and say, okay, you know what? This is new to me, but I want to learn, uh, teach me. Right. And and so I, I think growing up in that environment has been, um, yeah, it, it was it was really it was a blessing. I'm, I'm so thankful, yes. Thankful. And of course, now living in a country like Canada, which is uh, yes. multi, also very multicultural and very yes. diverse because everybody came from somewhere. Yes. Um, you, you fit right in. Um, dear listeners, um, Yajida is, as I mentioned earlier, a best selling author. And she could simply focus on her writing. And um, of course, she has indeed received a very high acclaim for her consequent works after the Daughters Who Walk This Path. Her next books were Chasing Butterfly, then her first uh, Chasing Butterflies, then her first children's book, The Elephant in the Wardrobe. And she has an upcoming novel, A Good Name. Yeah. But writing is not the only vocation for Yejida. She is also a therapist helping children who suffered from a trauma. Yejida, I can imagine that your efforts are, as a therapist are very much rewarding, but sometimes also draining. How does yeah. storytelling fit into your work as a therapist? Okay. So I started, I mentioned earlier that I went to boarding school when, and so I went when I was 10 and it was hard. Uh, it was hard. And so that's when I started writing. I was 12 when I started writing poetry. And so my poetry, you know, my poems rather were more like, oh, and feels and, you know, because it was my way of processing everything I was going through. 
And uh, when I went to university, I started writing, uh, I joined the press because uh, my very first degree was in political science because uh, I was going to be a lawyer. Uh, so that was, that was my first dream and uh, career dream. And um, I, um, so I wrote for my press. And so but when I started working as a social worker in 2009, and I was exposed to, um, you know, having to interview children who had been sexually abused, that was actually when I wrote my first novel manuscript. So in a way, my work was what put, led me through this, this path. Um, because my, my very first, so when I, when uh, a day I wrote a poem called Silence Speaks, and Silence Speaks was about um, a young girl who made a disclosure about being sexually abused. And that was what sparked the entire novel. So that poem actually became a scene in Daughters Who Walk This Path. So when I shared, when I shared uh, the poem on Facebook, uh, and I got people actually who made disclosures to me, who said, oh, people um, said, I've been, I, you know, I was sexually abused. And people, I was like, oh, I didn't, you know, and of course, it's not something people talk about. And so I'm like, wow, like, so I decided to flesh out that poem, Silent Speaks, into a novel. Mm-hmm. And so over six months, it became a manuscript of like, I think it was 40,000 words. And then I had people read and they were like, oh, this is actually good. And so that was how Daughters Who Walked This Path came to be. It was actually because of my work. And um, so in a way, my work as a, as a social worker, as a therapist, um, informs the things that I care about, mm-hmm. informs the kind of the, the things I write about. Um, if you look across my, my, my work so far, so I'm talking about child sexual abuse, uh, domestic violence, talking about uh, gender violence, talking about uh, patriarchy, talking about mental health issues, uh, anxiety. Uh, my next book, uh, children's picture book, was Juba and the Fireball, which talks about anger management. Um, the uh, good name coming out talks about, you know, immigration, cultural expectations. Uh, so in a way, when I, when I start to write a story, it's because it's something I'm trying to explore for myself. That's interesting. So I'm trying to figure out, okay, how does this work? Yeah. What are things that I haven't considered? So I always say I'm my first audience, that I, I can only write really about things I care about. Because yeah. if I don't have a connection to the theme or to the story, it's, it's hard for me to keep on going with it, especially when it's hard. But if, when I feel, because like even with a good name, I started writing in 2010, and it's just going to be published next month. So we're talking about 11 years. It takes a commitment (laughs) and perseverance to a belief in a particular story to stick with it that long. And so that's why, because I know that, you know, it's one thing to write, it's one thing to publish. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Those are two different, you know, one is, you know, it's like, you know, it's like uh, publishing is a business. So it's not just, it's not only, so when books get published, it doesn't mean they're the best books that get published. Right. And, and, I, and I think people need to and for writers are like, oh, OK, what's wrong with my story? There's so many reasons why your story isn't being published. It's not because it's not good. Right. Mm-hmm. So and I had to come to that acknowledgement myself and acceptance. And I, what does it you know, what would what does this mean for me as a writer? Um, and what does it mean for my future as a writer? And I thought, OK, no matter whether I get published or not, I would always write because that's the way I process my world. 
it's that's when it. an idea comes into my head. I'm like, hmm, I wonder what I could do with this. I yeah. wonder what this character has to say about this. That's I wonder. Yeah. So, and then we go on a journey together. Oh, wow. Wow. It's really we, cool. Yeah. We go on this journey of discovery together. Um, and so, and so I, I'm, I'm truly grateful for being able to, to write stories and being able to explore my world that way. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's interesting to say that because, you know, one of my current works, actually, the, my, my main protagonist is, is so different from me. Um, and I chose that on purpose. But for example, she's a math genius, which I am <laughs> <I'm> not. <laughs> uh, I like math, uh, but I am not a math genius. But I wanted to dive into the topic more. I wanted to understand it, how, what it takes to be a math genius. And so it's exactly what you're saying. It's to be, you know, to be, uh, uh, to be on a journey um, with your characters. The, we discussed this earlier before um they are alive in our minds so they are yeah. a true story for us <laughs> yes they're real they're real people with real and um and they surprise you yes um, they surprise you because you can have because i write with an outline um but my outlines are not rigid um so it gives me a sense of okay this might be the direction i'm i'm, I'm hoping to to go we, you know with the story but then across the and along the way rather something happened I'm like oh okay that's how you want to go okay let's explore <laughs> let's yes, exactly, see where this exactly. it's a story on its own you know because- yeah yeah like okay that's how you want to go let's let's see what what happens with that um yeah so and, and and so I think okay you know you have a blueprint but not to be a t- attached to it that you can't be you know you can be flexible because and it's, it's it's a metaphor for life right this thing life it truly change just happens and then you have to figure out okay in the midst of this change what am i going to do with it yes where am i going where is my my, my place in this in this change cycle um so yeah Interesting, very interesting. Yeah, I mean, um, we, have, we are wired uh, for stories. We have always been wired for stories. And um, we have to understand that for thousands and thousands of years, uh, we were shaped by the stories and we were, this is how our, our cultural how our history was transported, how we learned about our cultural identity, as we discussed this earlier. And I, I mean, for us, uh, it's, it's so important that we even teach it in our, in our communication and leadership training because um, it is important to tell a story when we deliver a message. Otherwise, it doesn't stick. Um, when you look back um, at, your, at your childhood, Yajita, and the time when you um, um, got your first stories, were there any stories about nature or Mother Earth uh, how was uh, how was Mother Earth present in the cultural richness of Nigeria or Yoruba people? Yeah. yeah. So I think uh, when I think about that, I think about the Yoruba creation story. Um, and uh, it's funny, like different people have different creation stories. I, I was doing uh, some training on indigenous culture uh, in Canada, and it was interesting hearing different creation stories across the different tribes um yeah like you were like oh. so the yoruba question so he talks about um so his name was Ududua. so Ududua, it's um so the father so that's more like the father of yoruba people and that um how the earth was created was created with a chicken and some grains of sand 
<laughs> and that the earth formed because the chicken was kind of, you know, kicking the, the, the grain of sand everywhere. And I was like, so, you know, like, I, it was just, I was like, you know, to, to, to be honest, you know, like, I was like, like, you know, but that was how the earth was formed. It was by a chicken and some grains of sand. Um, and, and I wish, but I, I'm, I'm sure that when that initial story was told, um, it would have more meaning. Like now I'm like, why was it a chicken? You know, yeah. why was it not a mouse? Why was it not like, you know, why was it the chicken that was chosen? You know, and, and that's the thing with, with oral tradition um, that things get missed and, or things don't get passed down depending on who's telling the story. Yes. And that the story changes. And, and I think that's, you know, like that's where, you know, the importance of even when now listening to any, any story is understanding that that story has been told through the lens of the storyteller. And that before you accept it as truth, you have to weigh it. Whose truth is it? <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Right? It's, it's interesting, but Yoruba people then answer the question, what was there before, chicken or the, uh, the chicken or the egg? Yeah, you know, so now I'm like, yeah, like I, so I wonder, like, well, why was the chicken? Like, I don't know. But yeah, like the chicken just kept throwing the, the sand and the places where the sand grains fell became land. And then when the places where there were no sand grains was just water. So the idea that all before all this was water. Like, you know, and in, in some ways, I, I think about that when we talk about even in terms of our human bodies in terms of composition of how we, we are, a lot of our composition is water. So there's just something about water, I think. I don't know, yeah. it's life anyway. Like you can do without food for some time, but you, you die if you don't have water. There's just, so it's, and even across whether it's one of the Christian story about, you know, a creation story, there was water too. Right. And even in some of the stories I when I read the indigenous thing, it was the same thing. There was water. Mm-hmm. So there, it's just there's, uh, there's this water thread that just goes through most of the stories. And I wonder about that. And I think that's part of how storytelling happens. Like for me, like wonder why. Why was water such a, a big, you know, like a factor in those stories? Why? Like, you know, like, I don't know. But that so that was that was. um in terms of, of, and then a lot of our stories, um, the Yoruba talk about even like of humans turning into rivers or turning into mountains. Uh, they would say, oh, there was this powerful human and then something happened and he got mad and then, you know, like, oh, like, so there's some, there's a, there's some rivers until now that they said there were, there, were, there were humans before, but it turned into, and people worship them. Uh, the traditional worshipers, they worship those rivers. And, you know, they say, oh, there used to be, uh, this used to be a, a man or this used to be a woman or this mountain used to be a human. Um, so the, there's a connection between, um, you know, like earth and hu- like, I, I don't know, like some things, some things you, you know, you wonder. Yeah. Um, but one thing I, I know for sure that, you know, that it's not all the, what we see, it's not just like life is more than the physical realm. I believe that. Yes. Yes, exactly. And water will be one of the topics uh, in our next one of the next episodes, because uh, what obviously Yoruba uh, people and other tribes in Nigeria understood, (laughs) we cannot live without water. It's very, water is life. Water is life for all, all, um, all life on this, uh, on this beautiful planet of ours. So we have to go back to understanding that very, very simple logic, yet 
the life-saving one. We need clean waters. We need yes, uh, yeah. we have to protect our oceans and our rivers and uh, lakes and everything else. Yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's fascinating. Um, um, one topic uh, that's kind of I have been thinking a lot about lately is the, of course, the world we live in, and the constant buzz that we are exposed to. And in human history, when we look at the storytelling, uh, there has never been an epoch where we hear so many words. Um, and yet, regretfully, they have, I have, the, I have to, at least I have the impression, are, don't have any meaning anymore. Um, our leaders make promises just to forget them maybe a few weeks later because they know that we are busy with the buzz and we will forget that they made a promise in the first place. Do you have a feeling that we lost the connection to the true meanings of the words? Because when we look back in the, during the days when our, our stories were transported and shaped our identity and history and everything, and when we, when we um, made business in the past, make, made business decisions, our words meant a contract. Mm-hmm. And yet today we see people saying this and saying that and kind of not really being committed to their words. Do you have the impression that words actually lost their meaning in this day's world? Hmm. I, I, I think... I don't know if in, in terms of losing the meaning or we losing, our, um, so not the words themselves losing the meaning, it's how we process them, right? Because, so they, you know, this is like, they carry their own values, like how much value we put on them, mm-hmm. right? So it's us who change, <laughs> right? Some, some, some values are still some values, like yes. it's, how, it, it's what we, you know, and then even when we talk about, um, you know, when, when the contracts were made then, like in terms of, okay, we, we come together, we talk and we both agree. But when the written word came, right? And now it's written down and it's always through, um, you know, who's doing the writing down, right? Through what lens, with what intention, Right. So, so the other things that now begin to take those words and they begin to change it. Yeah. So it's almost like it's the humans <laughs> who took the stories and remade them to fit them into their own agendas. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah, true. true. Right. So they took the stories and then they, you know, there's this uh, famous proverb about uh, until, um, was it, uh, is it the, uh, it's a, something about, uh, you know, until the animals begin to tell their stories, the stories will always glorify the hunters. Because <laughs> the hunter go like, yes, I went in there and I just shot my, my arrow and I was like, oh, I fought fiercely. Well, the animals can't tell their stories, so we don't know, right? <laughs> it's what the hunters face, right? And so you now begin to think about who's telling the story? That's true. You know, and, and, and for me, and that's why when, you know, like even in terms of looking at, you know, and, and looking at a word, like what are you trying to convey with, you know, like having like first understanding that words matter, the meaning of words matter and that people use words, they can, you can, you can weaponize them. You can weaponize them and use them to hurt people if you, if you structure it. And then you can also use them 
for healing and for growth. Yes. Right? So, yeah. So you as a storyteller have a responsibility. Yes. With the words that you say, the words that you choose, whatever format, whether you, you know, you say them, you write them, you sing them, you know, like recognizing your responsibility. Yes. Um, and, you know, that you've been given and the privilege that you've been given to be able to, you know, impact other people with what you say. And I think that was why, like, if you look back in the old day, the, the storytellers, the bards, the ones who, they were like the big people in the community because they could get everyone to sit down in the circle and listen to them. Yes, exactly. Right? So they, they had that clout to be able to, you know, and, and so it's even recognizing that what, when, whatever story you're telling, whether it's not even like in terms of creative stories, whether you're telling the story within an organization, whether, you know, it's a memo, it's a press release, it's something, you are creating a narrative. Yes. And, and that there should be some responsibility about that. That's a good, very good point that you're addressing the responsibility because we authors, our, our books are protected for 70 years after even we are not there anymore. Yeah. So this is a very long time in which our, I'm sorry, our words can shape somebody's mind or even somebody's career or path that they choose in their lives. Yeah. So, so, yeah, so whatever, yeah, whatever you are, whether you're a creative writer or not. Exactly. Just understanding that you are creating narrative with whatever you write. Exactly. Yeah. So we have to we have to be we have to go back exactly to the topic of responsibility. Responsibility for actions, responsibility for our words. And ideally it's also the enjoyment of telling the story, just sitting around the, the campfire. And we can still do this these days. We still have open space where we can go outdoors. And enjoy the nature and sit outside and and uh, just simply listen to the dying fire. You know the sound of the dying fire. It's something very, very special. So that uh, we experience that again, this, this, under this understanding where our fantasy works again. And where we simply enjoy a story for it is a story. So yeah, so I think I think that's the the beauty of having because I write about heavy topics, right? Uh, and it's not for everyone. Yes, and 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 that's why the beauty of having uh, we need to have diverse stories. It's not just the beauty of it; it's a necessity. You need yes. things that would just make you happy, just make you laugh. Laugh can just not be heavy all the time. Uh, we need that release. And, and so, um, so for me, people say, oh, okay, one kind of writing is serious or important. No, every piece of writing has value, is important, yes. feels a need, and it's much welcomed. Um, so I, I read across genre. I don't like, oh, like, so that's for me, it's important because it all, we, we like kind of all, we, we just, uh, what's the, so there was something I saw recently that I think I caught my mind about, um, it's about light and darkness. Um, it's like they, they each make you appreciate the other more. Like for you to be able to appreciate lightness or you have to have seen darkness. Yes. Yes. Right. Then, then that you, oh, yes, light. But uh, if you have no concept of darkness, you would really fully grasp the value of lightness. And if you have no concept of, of things being bright and light, Darkness, you know, it's uh, that it, it, vice versa. That you also you need both. Yes. Is that balance of life? 
right? And and so as we're you know talking about, and so that's why you know sometimes for myself I'm like I need because I I talk about heavy things that I always remind myself that I cannot I need to stick, get out of that space and just live life and find joy. I call it snatching joy. I find things that I snatch because sometimes joy I always say it's like a floppy bottom creature that wants to wash, waddle away from me and so I have to run after like hey Joy come back here <laughs> you know yes. Yes. you know I have to like snatch it like you're staying right so it's always important um I think and and and, and life shows us that like you know we have moments of just feel joy moments of just content stillness like so th- it's important to to you know to feel ourselves with as much light as we can, because sometimes darkness doesn't need to schedule, it would schedule itself. Like, so we have to schedule the light for ourselves. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah I think that's really important. But it's, your work is also very important uh, in its heaviness because we cannot, uh, we cannot ignore darkness. We cannot no. ignore drama. We cannot ignore a certain, certain, let's say, procedures or parts of a cultural heritage that are actually outdated um, and that we have to shed light on them um, to see the other side of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not, you, the darkness is, is heavy, as you said, we have to balance it with light, but we have to continue writing also about darkness. Yes. This is why your work is so important. Thank you. Thank you. I've heard you say, why don't you write happy stories? <laughs> like, why don't you? And in and, and some way I said, but that's what comes to me. Yeah, no, no we can't. the characters that come to me. Yeah. Um, Your yeah. work is precious because of the, of the, of the darkness. And as I, uh, I know how much strength it requires from you to write about darkness. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it takes so much toll on your own soul when you write about, uh, about darkness, but it has to be done. Yeah, thank you. I thank you for that. And, and sometimes I'm like, okay, next book, I'm going to write something really lighthearted. And, <laughs> and I think in, in some ways, that's why um, I'm thankful because I write short stories as well. Um, but I can, and, and I write short stories, I write poetry, I write children's fictions. I, I write, and so having been able to write in different forms um, gives me the space to step away. Yeah. And and to do something else, and to ref- and, and, and and as the years go by, I've, I've learned the real importance of self care. Yes, of taking care of myself, of of understanding. Okay, this is enough now. Mm-hmm. You need to step away um, and do something else, or you know, you need to leave the story now. And and so it's it's getting like so that's that's something that I think um, all writers really need to. Uh, focus on as a self-care piece because whatever it is you're writing it takes something from you oh it takes you into the for <laughs> the world its own world yeah. if you don't uh, if you're not take careful yes yes it takes something from you and that um one of the concepts i teach my children uh, or my clients that call them my kids my work kids um my work kids um would be we talk about do- bucket filling and bucket dipping that there are things in life that dip your bucket Right. So we all have this beautiful bucket. I always say mine is as, as polka dots, it's purple, it's shiny, it has glitter on it. 
and it's inside your body somewhere. And, um, and that things fill that bucket. So good things, like happy things, things that give you joy, they fill that bucket. And there are things that dip your bucket or people that dip your bucket. Some people, their energies are just not a good match for you. And so once you finish your, the interaction with them, always leaves you feeling like depleted, right? They kind of they dip from your bucket, right? And so that we all need to know what fills our bucket, and we all need to know the things that deep it as well. So that when that bucket is beginning to rattle and when things are like, uh, then you're like, okay, I need to go, I need to step back. I need to, it's that realignment. Yeah. It's understanding that we're made up of different parts and that when one part is out of sync, it impacts the other parts. Yeah. And, and so, so I, I always share that concept. Even when the adults like, hey, how's your bucket? You know, you have to kind of, and it's more or less like, how is your soul? How is, what's going on inside? Yeah, I, things. I use this concept of a bell because um, if you don't fill up the bell, you have there's nothing uh, to be given out of the bell because it has yes. to be a constant flow. Yes, um, yes. self care is extremely important. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I Jida, I could continue talking to you for hours. <laughs> um, it's, it's such a pleasure, um, but I we do have to come uh, to an end. So uh, and. Now, now, of course, I know that my listeners would know, like to know where to find your work. Um, and, uh, of course, uh, the question, uh, other than the book, A Good Name, are there any other projects that you're envisioning? Yes. Um, I have one adult novel that's finished. Um, and so, but um, I have some editing to do. Uh, so, so it's called In Our Own Ways. Um, so I'm excited about that. It's entirely set in Nigeria. And so I'm excited about that. I have two children's books all written as well. And uh, I have some short stories. I I'm always writing something. <laughs> like <laughs> breathing, me, isn't it? Yeah. It, I'm, I'm, that's, not right. that's, yeah, that's my thing. You know, every, that's my way of processing. It, it really gives, grounds me, makes me happy. Um, so yeah, so I'm always writing something, so I'm excited. And uh, you and I have had this conversation before. I'm hoping I can go back to school. I'm excited about that. I mentioned earlier about education, so I'm hoping that I can go back to school as well. So yeah, yeah so I'm, I'm I'm excited about the the near future. And where can we? Uh, uh, where can my listeners find you? Facebook is is that Instagram? Which yes. profiles would you prefer? Oh, I'm anyone I'm because I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter, I have a website, so yjdkalanko.com. Um, I, 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 I promised myself a long time ago that when people take time out of their day to email me or write me, that I respond back to them. Um, and so, yeah, so uh, my books are sold on, on, on your local retailers, you know, wherever you are in the world, um, that, you know, if they don't have it, they can request it. And it's also online, but I'm, I'm very thankful to everyone who joined us today. I'm thankful you got honor for having me. Um, it's always an honor. I'm afraid to talk about my writing, about my life. And yeah, because I'm like, oh, somebody's, you know, you feel like, oh, they're interested in what I have to say. <laughs> very much so. Very much yeah, so. Thank so. you so much. It was uh, truly a pleasure in having you. And dear listeners, please note that you can find Yejida's links also in my profile and on the profiles of Grounded Press on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thank you so much again. And this was today's conversation with Mother Earth. 
brought to you by Grounded Press. Next week, we are going to London to visit the bug woman of London. Sounds scary? <laughs> Not at all. She is an incredible woman who will take us on an adventure. So stay tuned and join us again.